Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first real episode of Believe in Braves. I am excited to be here. Now, for most of you, introductions aren't really going to be necessary, but a few of you who haven't been familiar with my work, my name is Eric Cole. I have been the, I've been working at Talking Chop, which is SB Nation's Braves affiliate for since 2015, I've been the deputy site manager for the past few years. I've been the minor league editor over there for significantly longer than that. And this is the first, again, real episode of Believe in Braves, which is going to be a weekly Braves podcast where it's going to be driven largely by you, the listeners. Each week, my plan is to kind of give you guys a general rundown as to what happened with the Braves, but there's a lot of podcasts that do that. I've certainly been a regular co-host on a podcast that kind of goes through each game in detail, talking about each individual decision, each individual thing that's happened, our thoughts about it. Same thing with the minor leagues. I have a regular week minor league podcast where we go into detail about different moves, players, promotions, roster considerations. These are all things that we take into consideration in detail. That is not necessarily what this show is going to be about. I will certainly give you guys a rundown, and this is going to be a bit of a shorter format show. For those of you who don't want to listen to an hour, hour and a half long podcast, I love personally those types of podcasts, but that's not what this podcast is going to be. I'm going to give you quick rundowns as kind of the big news items, quick thoughts that I may have about those news items. But the rest of the show, and I'm committed to doing this, is to answering your questions. It allows me to analyze kind of what the thoughts are of the folks out there in the land of the Braves and Braves fandom, and also kind of dig deep onto some more analytical issues without getting tied too much into minutia about specific games, what's going on with, you know, in a given week, specific news items too much. I want to be able to touch on those things to get people caught up if they haven't been, but I want really this to be driven by listeners, by fans by folks who are following along. And if you want to submit questions, I'm going to put a call out each week on Twitter. You can follow me at Leprechaun with a K. I'll put on a call. It'll probably be on a Monday or a Tuesday, and I'll put that podcast. I'll put that call out on Twitter. You just respond with your, hey, uh, this is a question that I have. I put them in a list, and I'll just get through as many as I can on each individual weekly episode. I imagine I'm going to get through most of them. That, that's my goal. I want to make sure that I'm answering as many different topics as top- possible. If you have major league questions, minor league questions, or something kind of in the middle or maybe something a little bit more front front office related and there's certainly a couple of those this week i'm going to do my absolute best to answer those provide my opinion on those things but before we get to all that before we get to the mailbag part which is the part that i'm frankly looking forward to the most let's get into what's happened this past week the braves have had an awful no good very bad week and it was coming off a bright spot. The Braves had just taken two out of three from the Los Angeles Dodgers, which by all accounts is one of the better teams in the league. And it felt like finally this is a team that could threaten to come out from under, you know, get over 500 and actually start really making, pushing the Mets at the top of the division, which is what they frankly should be doing and have, and should have been doing for most of the season. But they haven't done that. And that is certainly not what happened this past week. They lost two straight series, including losing four straight games in the series against division rivals in the Philadelphia Phillies and the Miami Marlins, and they've already lost the opener, a road opener against the Boston Red Sox. They're currently losing game two. Things do not look great in the Braves land. They just don't. Braves country is in a very sad, despondent place. Some of that is, you know, it takes a lot of the energy out of fandom. It takes a lot of energy out of the team to be in kind of these scuffles like this, and they haven't been particularly fun to watch. And some of that has just been bad luck. Some of that just seems like there's always seems something something goes wrong and someone shits the bed. But injuries have played a big role in that too. And this week was no different. 
Tucker Davidson, who has been, again, a bright spot for the Braves. He was called up to kind of fill a role in the rotation. It seemed like he had seized an opportunity, had pitched well. After pitching well down in the minors, down in Gwinnett, comes up, pitches well in the Major League Club. And then in his start this past week, he has to leave his start early. Didn't look right, was pitching, you know, velocity was way down, just didn't look particularly sharp. And it turns out that he has a forearm strain and has already hit the injured list. Now, before anyone gets, you know, clutches their pearls, I understand here where you would be concerned that a forearm strain is code for the guy needs a new arm or he needs Tommy John or he needs a brand new elbow or a brand new shoulder. And honestly, you are welcome and you are right to be a little bit skeptical of any sort of description of forearm strains because that's not, I wouldn't say it's every time that happens, but a lot of times when a guy needs like a more extensive repair or has a more severe injury. They call it a forearm strain at first. And then 48, 72 hours later you hear, well, he's going to go look for a second opinion, but it looks like he's going to need Tommy John surgery or he has a partially torn UCL and he's going to be evaluating his options. None of those things are good, but it sounds like from word from manager, Brian Snitger, as well as put out by the team and as well from all the beat reporters that they did MRIs, they did scans. All it's showing is it's just a strain and that it should be a fairly short stint on the injured list. Now, what is interesting is the roster move they made in order to kind of cover his absence, at least in the short term. You would think that it'd be a guy like Kyle Ride or a guy who's already on the four-man roster, but Bryce Wilson seems like the easiest candidate, but it looks like he's going to be pitching later in the week when the Braves are going to need him. So who's that roster move? Well, they added Kyle Muller to the Major League roster. For those who aren't aware, Kyle Muller was the Braves' second-round pick down back in the 2016 draft, and that was a pretty interesting draft class because it's the same class that had Joey Wentz as well as Ian Anderson, and functionally what the Braves did in that draft was get three first-round caliber pitchers because they were able to bring in Ian Anderson under slot. Using that combined with one of the bigger draft bonus pools in the entire draft, they were able to sign Joey Wentz, they were able to sign Kyle Muller, to get a really healthy-looking draft class, and it wasn't just it wasn't just those three guys. They were able to sign some guys in later rounds that have you know turned into really good prospects in their own right. It seems like that he's again up right now because he's available. I imagine he will get set down right back down, but because he's on the forty man, now he becomes an option going forward. He's looked good in Gwinnett so far. He's had well, I say good. His the beginning of his season was not good, but last three starts or so, he's looked like himself again, striking out guys, limiting those walks is going to be a big thing because he's a big hulking lefty at 6'7", 250, and that's at least what he's listed at. I would take a guess that he's actually a little bit, he weighs a little bit more than that. He's getting built like he's built like a marble statue and throws real a real fastball. It's a heavy fastball with some late movement, mid-90s mostly. Maybe he can go a touch higher if he really reaches back for it. Big curveball. Again, Gunning is getting some nice late movement on his pitches lately, but the command has always been the biggest issue for him and for a guy that big to repeat his mechanics over and over again that is not atypical and he just probably needs a little bit more time to become that major league ready starter to kind of get his mechanics more repeatable but to see him already kind of on the 40 man now and in the major league on the major league roster he's already gotten that opportunity he's already is uh, is now on the list as an option does that mean that the next time that they need a real a start spot starter to come up he's gonna be the guy i don't think so again bryce wilson kyle wright those types of guys, even Jaseel Wilson, Jaseel De La Cruz, rather. Those are guys who are already on the 40-man roster who could get that opportunity, but now Muller is in the mix firmly. Because, again, he's already been called up. He's already in the mix. You don't have to worry about making a 40-man move in order to make that happen. We'll see. We'll see if that's something that ends up being a factor going forward. If he continues to pitch well down in Gwinnett, he should be firmly in the discussion because other pitchers like Kyle Wright particularly have certainly not made themselves stand out in terms of their overall performance.
But let's get back to the Braves. Again, you lose Tucker Davidson the injury. You've already lost Wasker. You know what to injury. Mike Soroka is probably going to be out until at least August. Uh, again, we keep hearing whispers that, you know, Enoa and Darno and Soroka, all these guys are going to be coming back from injury in August. You, again, should be very skeptical, particularly in Soroka's case, as to whether or not that's actually going to happen. But what do the Braves do in the meantime? Because it seems like everything they do ends up going poorly. When they make the wrong decisions, when it be bullpen choices, when they're down a run and Snicker inexplicably uses the Braves' worst reliever in a situation where they should be treating it as more higher leverage, they get punished. And then all of a sudden they give up four runs, and even though the offense might be able to get them back into it, they end up losing by two. Or even when they make the right decisions. We've seen situations where Will Smith and Chris Martin have been used in situations, the exact situations, where they should be used as two of the best relievers in the bullpen. And they'd still lose. Even Chris Martin, who had looked great, has looked very human over the last couple of appearances. So what do you do? What do you do if you're the Braves? Is that it seems like everything that can go wrong will go wrong. When you have one guy gets hot in the lineup, another guy is not. You have Freddie Freeman in your lineup who's coming off an MVP season. And again, it seems like every hit ball he hits hard is right at a guy. It seems like every time that he needs to come up with a big hit, he ends up striking out or he ends up not coming through. Ronald Acuna has had to battle all kinds of little nagging injuries here and there and battle through those and trying his best to carry this team, but he hasn't been the only one on that offense that has been carrying them because Ozzy Albies has been on a hot streak that I think deserves more attention. Just in the month of June, he's slashing 340, 397, 509 with a 148 WRC+. Now, overall, his stats are still pretty ordinary against righties uh, as he's batting with like a 105 WRC plus against righties, but that's improved during this recent hot streak because he's still been hitting those guys pretty well and kind of tells you how bad he was looking against righties early on in the season. Austin Riley's still hitting. He's still, again, it's been a little bit less uh, scorching, I guess is the best way to say it, uh, as opposed to a month of May where it seemed like he couldn't make an out to save at all. But those guys and Ronald Cooney Jr. are really trying to drive this offense, but everyone else has been maddingly inconsistent. Obviously, they're dealing with the loss of Marcelo Zuna, first to injury, and secondly to a domestic violence case that's being brought against him, and who knows what's going to happen there in terms of the results of the police investigation. There's problems up and down this roster. Starting pitching, bullpen, the lineup. There's a lot of reasons why this these, this team is on the kind of the streak that they're on right now. Now, hopefully the bullpen's going to get a little bit bolstered here because it seems like Tuki Toussaint is on his on his road back to the major leagues because he began his re- rehab assignment in Rome this past week. He looked okay. Uh, you know, he seemed like he was just his sole mission in life was just to throw a lot of strikes, not do anything super fancy. He certainly accomplished that. He hung a couple curveballs, which again is going to happen if you're only trying to throw strikes. But he should, looks sounds like he's going to be making another appearance in Rome on Sunday. Who knows what happens after that? Maybe he makes some more rehab appearances in Gwinnett and a good Tuki Toussaint with as live a stuff as he has with that hammer curveball that he can throw, this bullpen could really, really use him. And if we're just being honest, you know, the experiment and the continued try to reliance on having Tukey as a starter is just not going to happen anymore. His path to the major leagues now seems to be as a reliever. And with his arsenal, he could be a really, really good one. Now, on the minor league side, a uh, little bit of news. Uh, we're still having Christian Pache and Drew Waters dealing with some nagging uh, injuries. Pache is dealing with a bit of a nagging ham- hamstring injury after coming off the IL and starting his rehab stint down there. Seems like that that's not a major issue. He's not going back on the IL or anything like that. Drew Waters has, has been dealing with a bit of a sore thumb, which, again, doesn't seem like something that's going to be a prolonged absence, but they has missed some games lately. So we haven't seen two of the better p- position player prospects in the, the system. But one guy that has continued to show out 
is Michael Harris. Uh, he's been playing center field prospect for the Braves. Seems to just do a lot of things right. That hit tool is really, really good. Lacing balls the other way, beating out infield singles, driving the ball on line drives. Just does an excellent, excellent job down there for Rome. Among the league leaders in batting average, among the league leaders in heading towards league leaders in OPS. It's hitting for some power, which we could see a little bit more, but overall can't really complain too much about his production. The one thing that you can point to is something that you really could say, hey, this needs to improve is the strikeouts are a little bit high and he has to start drawing some walks, and he just hasn't been. Hopefully that ends up coming. He sees a lot of strikes, which makes me think that if he starts really driving some balls with some more authority, those pitchers in, in high A are going to be thinking twice about piping balls down the middle or trying to really challenge him too much. Speaking of another guy who I don't think that the pitchers are going to be challenging too much much longer is one Jesse Franklin. Uh, and uh, my good friend and longtime Talking Chop writer, longtime Hawks beat reporter Brad Rollins is particularly excited about that this Michigan alum that has been tearing the cover off the ball. But after the first, I would say, month of the season, Jesse Franklin looked very, very bad. He just didn't look like he was comfortable at the plate, was late on a lot of stuff, just didn't seem very comfortable at all. And the month of June has treated him well, as he has an OPS well over 1,400 for the month. And again, this is after a really bad start to the season. Every single home run that he's hit this season, which I believe he's up to six now, has come in the month of June. And since it's only June 16th, that's quite the heater. One last guy that I want you to keep I want you guys to keep an eye on is a pitcher down there in low A Augusta Green the, the newest Braves affiliate the Augusta Green Jackets and that is Joey Estes. We've been keeping an eye on this Augusta team quite a bit because there's a lot of guys that were coming out of the 2019 draft that we hadn't got very good looks at that we certainly haven't had much to um, go on in terms of information. And some guys have really impressed us. Darius Fines has had a great year for them. Spencer Strider recently promoted to Rome, was just striking out guys left and right. But Joey Estes is the guy that I want you to keep an eye on because through 32.2 innings this year, he has a 193 ERA with 44 strikeouts against just eight walks. And this is a guy who was a prep arm that was drafted in the 16th round. One of those overslot guys on day three that you see the Braves like to take chances on, try to lure them out of a college commitment, try to bring them in. He's really filled out his frame. Off-speed stuff looks great. I think he's ready for a promotion. I would not be shocked if he gets one sooner rather than later. So that gets us all caught up on what's going on the Major and Minor League side. Now we get to talk about your questions. And this is the part that I am the most excited about to do this. And I want to thank all of my followers on Twitter for posting all these questions. Again, send them to me as many as you can send. I want to make sure that I cover as what a wide range of topics as possible in the mailbag part. And our first question is kind of a two-parter. First is, what is Drew Waters' ETA? And would a Contreras-Langoliers 50-50 catching split work at the big league level, similar to the Suzuki-Flowers rather tandem? This is a fair question. Uh, first, I'll say, in terms of Drew Waters, I wouldn't expect to see him this season for a few reasons. One is that I think that as Christian Pache improves and gets healthy again, I think he's going to get that first opportunity to fill one of those slots. And once you have, once you have that outfield spot set, I don't think they're necessarily going to use another 40-man spot to bring up Drew Waters, especially since, you know, there are still some issues with his approach at the plate, that he's had, he's lost some time, you know, with nagging injuries coming off the spring and now dealing with this thumb injury. I have not seen anything that makes me think that Drew Waters is going to be a successful major league hitter quite yet. There's things he's certainly improving upon. He's getting a lot of late counts, and he certainly seems to be working on his approach, but that's still a work in progress, even if he wasn't dinged up. Now, as for the Contreras-Langoliers split, I think personally that that split would work great. 
Uh, you know, again, you know, maybe it's like a 60-40 timeshare. Uh, you know, who that who gets the higher end of that timeshare on any given day, you could convince me either way. I like both of them quite a bit. I think that you should have guys getting splits like that simply because, one, it makes both of those guys familiar with the entirety of the pitching staff, which means if one guy gets hurt, he can take the lion's share of the reps, and you don't have, like, you know, a guy's specific catcher, and then you have another guy catching so much that he ends up getting worn down, and then another guy has to catch more than he's used to because you have to kind of replace that production. Again, a, a relatively even split seems like it would be better overall for the wear and tear on both of those guys. I just don't see that happening under Brian Snicker. I think that whoever is hitting the best or whoever that his pitchers, you know, tell he looks the most comfortable with or, you know, in the case of Contreras, maybe he doesn't, you know, he doesn't like what he's been doing defensively. I personally think that's not going to happen, but I think it should. And I think it should be a consideration simply because, you know, with all the talk about the, the knee in the dirt catching and things like that, one of the best things you can do to preserve a guy's body, particularly a catcher, over the course of the long season is to give him time off. And with a DH coming up ne- next year, presumably, you might be able to rotate in. If a guy is a better hitter, maybe you rotate him in in other ways in order to get him some more time at the plate but not have to wear him down. That's still a possibility, but I- I'm skeptical that Snicker would do it. Uh, the next question is, what is an ideal offseason next year to reload this team and have them ready to be back into the World Series? A question for this year, season is, who are some realistic trade targets to look out for this year? Uh, I'll answer the last question first. It's impossible to know realistically what trade targets are because there are so many potential spots for people to land in terms of the playoffs. That it's hard to tell who's realistically available, right? Even the Tigers are in a position like a team that's particularly bad and the Orioles that are not particularly good. Those are teams that are really kind of filled with young guys. They've already traded away most of the talent that you'd be excited about. Matthew Boyd from the Tigers was really the only guy that was like, again, on a team that was very clearly willing to sell. And they've just, they've screwed up trading him away already a couple times due to injuries that I just don't see a situation where there's something pairs up particularly well. I mean, sure, you can talk about Mitch Hanniger out there in Seattle as a potential option, or if you see some guys who are, you know, some of these shortstops, if you think that Dansby's really something that needs to be upgraded over, then a lot of these guys who are going into their last year before free agency. But again, a lot of those players are on good teams. And in the case of Colorado, I just don't think that they've ever been inclined to make a trade in their own self-interest, and they might just prefer to have a qualifying offer attached to them as opposed to whatever trade value you'd get back on a half a year of them. And that's the trouble with making trades, is that, you know, there's not a ton of useful, or a bunch of useful value, I guess the best way to know how to describe it, to get back right now, because teams prefer to get qualifying offers, it seems for the most part, as opposed to giving up a guy for half a year, because that's just the, the value is better there for whatever reason. And, you know, in the case of relievers, you know, there's just a million options out there in terms of who you could acquire and who you couldn't. And maybe, just maybe, that the Braves just don't like a lot of those options out there. I'm certain they'll make a deal before the trade deadline, and they should certainly consider it. But it's it's hard to locate who could be a target for this year. Now, as for the ideal offseason, the first move this Braves team needs to make is extending Freddie Freeman. That's the ideal scenario, because I'm not entirely convinced that we'll see Marcelo Zuna taking another at bat for the Braves and even if you do even if he does I we have no idea what he's going to look like particularly after all the issues that he's dealing with on the legal end on the legal side of things you have no idea how much if he's going to be serving time in terms of jail you have no idea if he's going to be able to handle the scrutiny that's going to be on him after what has been a very high profile case and the high pro, high profile exam uh, uh, investigation you need that 
bat in your lineup. Because again, with the uncertainty around Marcelo Zuna, with the uncertainty around the rest of your lineup, you need a guy like Freddie. Despite how lucky he's looked this year, a bad Freddie Freeman is still going to be something that your this lineup is going to need for your fan base, for your just overall morale in your clubhouse, to just production on the field. Freddie Freeman is a guy that you need to have. And that is where any ideal offseason starts is getting him signed because after that you can start entertaining the idea of replacing Dansby Swanson whose production has been very inconsistent. He's going to be getting a little bit more expensive with this being his last year of arbitration. Maybe you use some of the money that's coming off the books. You know, use that money that you're going to be paying Dan. You would be normally paying Dansby, maybe paying some of these other guys where the, these one-year contracts that the Braves have coming off the books and go after one of these top-flight shortstop in free agency like Correa or Story or whoever. Now, there's certainly some wisdom here in not, you know, giving a guy a long-term deal, but I'm not sure if there's going to be that much appetite for that much of a long-term deal anyway, so maybe you can kind of work out somewhere meeting in the middle where it's not some crazy eight-year deal, but maybe you can do a four- or five-year deal and really upgrade at the position. But none of this really is possible until we know what's going on with Marcelo Zuna and we know that Freddie Freeman is under contract. Because whatever permutations you look at, that's where you need to start. You know, after that, we can figure out what kind of money you have left over to add to your bullpen, what guys internally are going to be adding to your bullpen or your rotation, and things like that. Because if you don't lock up Freddie Freeman, all of a sudden you have a gaping hole in your infield, and you have to start entertaining things like acquiring a third baseman, maybe moving Austin Riley over to first, or, you know, having to move Austin around maybe to left field, and then you have to figure out a third baseman, and then figure out who's going to be playing at first, who's going to be playing DH. There are a lot of moving parts here in terms of the offseason. So the first thing that they can do to have an ideal offseason, an ideal one, is to start by making sure that Freddie Freeman is under contract. Because, again, I know that he has not looked like Freddie Freeman to start this season, but... He is the guy that you need to start with, 100%. Um, the next question is, if you get to be commissioner for a day, what would you do and how soon would you unban copy? Uh, I'm actually not sure if I'd unban copy simply because I think the, the primary reason he got banned wasn't because of his offenses, it was because of the fact that he didn't cooperate. And I think that, you know, I think that he could have done a lot of good just to cooperate with the investigation if for no other reason that guys like John Hart and, else, and others who were just as a big a part of those schemes that were going on as anyone else they would be able to be held accountable, and that did not happen. So, you know, again, his cooperation was kind of the biggest problem there, I think is what got put on the list. So, again, it, it's almost like, you know, like I don't mind him for being punished for being stupid because I think that if he had just cooperated with the investigation, he would have been handed a punishment similar to, like, the Astros guys would have gotten maybe a little bit more severe, but he didn't do that. So say what you want to about that. However, in terms of rules changes that I would do as commissioner, the first thing I would do on day one is I would go up to the Players Association and say, you know, regardless of what the CBA is, let's make an amendment for each year up until we sign a new CBA that the DH is in effect for both leagues. After that, I would take instant replay out of the hands of the Umpires Association, and there would be an instant replay, but it would be over a third neutral party where, like, you have, like, basically officials who aren't in the Umpires Union, and their sole job is just to rule whether or not a play is that is under review whether it's correct or not, or if it stands. I guess if it's really close, you still have that in place because the problem that you have with replay right now is that you have umpires policing other umpires and they don't want to make other other umpires look bad. And so we have these very obvious cases where things play should be overplay- these plays should be overruled 
and they're not being so because again it's umpires kind of policing themselves and that's not how it works um you know after that like there's this you know little things here and there you know like i would try to and in, in, you know, change how you know these these comp compensation picks and com um, competitive balance picks work where it seems like the same teams who really don't need these extra picks keep getting them each year. I'm looking at you, St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, in terms of how teams, how much teams spend on salary, making sure that there's competitive balance there to where people are actually, teams are actually spending enough in order to make themselves competitive rather than just kind of using a team as a cash cow and not having to pay players and not really considering themselves to be competitive unless they just happen to kind of luck into a season where their underplayed play players play play way above their heads but that's kind of where i would start in terms of being a commissioner um where can i find box scores and stats for the dominican summer league i can actually save you some trouble the braves are not participating in the dominican summer league uh and they announced that very recently you can look for an article over on baseball america for that information uh the gcl is starting up uh, right after the draft that's still happening but the dsl is not they are not going to be participating and i think it's partially because they simply don't have enough players to really field a team of note in the dsl uh, which does beg the question as to what they're going to be doing with the, their top signee, Mburis Tavares, who is their most recent uh, uh, international signee of note. I imagine that he'll probably be down in like around the DSL doing workouts. And after that, maybe he goes to Florida to kind of get in some work down there in the extended spring kind of instructs complex. But for right now, you don't have to worry about finding the DSL stats because there aren't going to be any involving Braves players. Uh, the next question is, what is your opinion on AA saying that they have financial flexibility at the trade deadline, and do you think Freeman will get an extension midseason? Uh, I'll answer the second question first. I do not think that the Freddie Freeman is going to... I'll answer the second question first. Uh, I do not think that Freddie Freeman is going to be getting a contract extension midseason simply because if they were going to do that, it would have happened already. I certainly think the Braves want that to happen. I certainly think that it would be in the team's best interest to do so. I'm beginning to suspect that there's some sort of holdup on Freddie's end making that happen. I'm not really sure if it has to result in how much money he thinks that the Braves are willing to offer him. I'm not sure if that has to do with just kind of his personal goals, whether his family, whether he wants to, you know, maybe go to a different team or what's going on. But I think the holdup in terms of getting a contract done in midseason, my suspicion, my suspicion, just based on how the Braves are handling it and how touchy they're getting about it, is that it's not on their end. I think that they want to try to lock up Freddie Freeman and there's something else going on. Now, in terms of saying that they have the financial flexibility, I... I, it's a meme, right? Like that there's a question of, you know, that the Braves will finally have money when that they have ticket revenue now, so they're going to have some more money to spend. But I fundamentally question the honesty about the assertion that the Liberty Media or Terry McGurk or, or whoever made a budget assuming that the entirety of the 2021 season was just not going to have fans in attendance. I just don't because there were other teams that were perfectly willing to add money to their payrolls and operate under the assumption that fans were going to be in the ballpark. And it seems like that they were operating under some really tight payroll constraints this for this past off season. And so all of that should be taken with a little bit of a grain of salt and should be factored into the fact that maybe one of the reasons that they're putting that out there right now is that they want to make the feel like they, they can make moves for players that have some money on their contracts at the trade deadline that they want to have more appear to have more options than maybe they do but 
I assume that they have a little bit more money because they're 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 back at capacity, maybe a little bit sooner than they're planning on. But it's also worth noting that they're all of this is kind of public posturing that is being made to their benefit. And I don't think that Alex Anthopoulos or any Braves off front office official says anything publicly unless they want it to be out there for reasons other than just for the sake of transparency. Um, the next question is, if the Braves don't extend Freddie, who would be some big free agents they would go after? Uh, this is tough because, again, if they aren't doing that, then they really do need to go after one of those big bats like Carlos Correa, like Trevor Story, those kind of big, those big shortstop options. And it doesn't really solve their problem, right? I don't think it pro- solves the problem of, like, is there, like, a guy as a first baseman that replaces what you lose when you lose a Freddie Freeman? So what I personally think would be an interesting notion, and I just don't think it's particularly possible, is that the Bra- it's not a free agent, but the Braves make a big play to trade for Matt Chapman from the Athletics. Because what that allows you to do is if you put Matt Chapman over at third, and again, be selling, you'd be buying a little low on him because his bat hasn't been particularly awesome this year. But this is a guy who like got is a, a terrific defender over there, and has like you know gotten real MVP consideration in previous years. You put him at third, then you put Austin Riley at first base, and then you kind of have the slew of outfielders like Drew Waters, Christian Pache, Michael Harris to kind of you know sort out those other two outfield spots other than Ronald Acuna Jr. That's something that I personally would consider. But, you know, again, once you lose a guy like Freddie Freeman, things can get really weird really, really quickly. Uh, Next is, if the Braves continue this pace, performance and win-wise, do you think that there will be a coaching or managerial change during or after the season? What do you think it will take for a mid-season coach slash manager change? I don't think that Brian Snicker is going to be fired mid-season. I don't think that a managerial change is going to happen at all. He's engendered a lot of goodwill with the run to the NLCS last year, as well as kind of piloting the team to the postseason the two previous years. I think that the pitching coach change could be a very positive thing. Uh, there's been whispers, this is going back a couple years now, that Rick Kranitz is, isn't the guy to field a major league, to, to run a major league pitching operation in terms of game planning, in terms of all that stuff. He seems like a terrific guy. He seems like that, you know, players and people just like him as a human being. But in terms of game planning and making adjustments and things like that, he just hasn't seemed to have make very many players on the Braves roster better for any appreciable amount of time. You know, he's the guy that when you're, like, having a bad day, maybe during mound visits, he like, he seems marginally helpful. But if I'm the Braves, what I would do is that, to, like, as soon as possible, I would simply shift credits to kind of a sort of a mentorish type role, maybe with minor leaguers, maybe just as a special assistant, and then put Mike Moroth, the pitching coach down at Gwinnett, and put him in charge of the in charge of the pitching. Because I think that a lot of the guys who are at AAA seem to like make meaningful adjustments and they pitch better down there for him than they do for Kranitz. That's just me. I don't think that's particularly likely, but that's just kind of where I would go. And after the season, it depends on how bad the team is. I do know that there seems to be a there does seem to be a bit of a rift in terms of how the front office wants games to be managed versus how Brian Snicker chooses to manage them. And I think if the team ends up performing well, performing poorly, that maybe that there might be a managerial change, but we're a long way off from thinking about that. Uh, next is, uh, what is my ba- my favorite Braves team ever, my favorite Brave ever, and my favorite overall baseball player ever? Uh, I like this question a lot. Uh, I'm, you know, it's a 1995 World Series team. It was the first team that I ever was following in sports that ended up winning a title. Uh, in any particular sport. Uh, I'm a long-suffering Buffalo Bills fan, so I got pretty close to being see, seeing a team uh, win the Super Bowl, but unfortunately those teams kept getting beaten by, frankly, just better teams, or in one particular case, in heartbreaking fashion. Um, so it's, it's that 95 team that is my favorite. My favorite Brave ever uh, is Greg Maddox. 
He's I just you, def, you there's not going to be another pitcher like him, a guy that is just 80 grade command, knows exactly what he wants to do in any given moment. Not only was he you know what pitch he was going to throw and exactly where he was going to throw it, but he knew what the batter was going to do with that pitch. If, like he'd like, you know, be calling out guys like this grounder is coming to you at short, you know, hey, this foul ball is about to come in our way, we need to get out of the way. Without a question, it's going to be Greg Maddox. There's a lot of guys who are in contention there. You know, Hank, obviously, for his just impact on the game, his impact on just humanity as a whole. There's a lot of guys who are in that content, in that spot, but Greg Maddox is my guy. Uh, and my favorite overall baseball player ever, my, the, my favorite player growing up as a kid was Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, I got the pleasure of meeting him once when I went to go watch the GCL Braves play, uh, and he is still quite a large guy. He's put on quite a bit of mass, uh, but just remembering kind of what he meant for me as far as a young baseball fan, what he meant for the game of baseball when he was playing. Uh, if he hadn't gotten hurt, we'd be talking about him owning the home run record right now as opposed to Bonds or as opposed to Hank, and I don't think that is particularly close. Uh, just one of my absolute favorite players. If he hadn't gotten hurt, you know, we would have seen him at kind of the, even higher up on the rankings in terms of the stats than than we would normally. Um, next is when will we see Shea Langoliers in the show? Um, when will we see Shea Langoliers in the show? Uh, we don't really, it won't be this year for sure. After that, it just kind of becomes a, you know, a bit of a crapshoot. I'm all for giving catchers a bit of a, like giving them some time to get some reps down there in the minor leagues, giving them some time to kind of learn how to call games beyond just, you know, learning like that new catching stance that seems like the Braves are adopting organizationally, organization wide um, in terms of that one knee in the dirt stuff, but just getting more reps in terms of calling games, getting used to being a catcher every day, playing a long season, you know, I'm all for giving them that, that time, so I don't think 2021 is realistic at all. 2022, I could see him maybe, you know, maybe not at the beginning of the season, but I could see him if he hits really well in AAA. I could see him, uh, you know, coming up and helping out Contreras in the, in the big leagues. Um, who are some of the pitchers in the minors you see as future late-inning arms in the major majors? Uh, that's tough to say because uh, some of the guys who might project as relievers aren't relievers yet. Uh, a few names to point out there are Victor Vodnik, who the Braves seem like continually trying to start as a starter, but he, he is already hurt, smaller bodied guy, which is what you worry about as a guy who's throwing near triple digits. Is he going to be able to hold a, hold a starter's workload? He's a guy that I think could be a really interesting late inning arm. Uh, Tuki Toussaint seems kind of like tra- cheating since he's currently in the minors. And, you know, he's the kind of a guy that I could see as a late-inning guy as he comes back from injury. Uh, Indigo Diaz has been very, very good for the Rome Braves. Uh, he's, and he seemingly just impresses me every time he's out there on the mound uh, down there in, in high A. And another guy that's out there at high A as well is Casey Kallick. Uh, a pretty high pick for a reliever for the Braves when he was drafted. Uh, it's coming off an injury, had a had pretty major wrist surgery. It turns out he was pitching with like a broke with a broken wrist for like two years. So kind of seeing how he develops and how he overall how he performs is an, is another option. Those are kind of the three guys that I'd point to. There's no one else. I mean, maybe Daisbel Hernandez is another guy. I guess uh, he was high. You know, it started the year in Gwinnett, and he was a guy that we thought could even be contention for the bullpen this year, but had a really really bad start to his year in Gwinnett and has gotten down to Double A and has looked pretty good down there. So he's another guy, but has been kind of inconsistent and he's kind of, and he's been around long enough where you're beginning to wonder if he's ever going to get his opportunity. Um, next is, is there anyone in the system that still holds any real value for trades? I feel like AA had let that, has let that ship sail. That's silly. Now there are some guys who have certainly been held on too long to, 
too long and who haven't been developed into anything like Kyle Wright is a perfect example of that but there are a lot of guys in this system that have real trade value there would be no shortage of suitors for teams to take on Michael Harris or Drew Waters or Christian Pache or Kyle Muller or Joey Estes or there's a lot of prospects in the system that a lot of other teams would want it's just silly you know, like, in terms of some of the guys that have been around for too long, some of those guys have roles right now. You know, like, Bryce Wilson seems to be, like, the quintessential spot starter guy. You know, Tucker Davidson, you know, up until he got hurt, was had forced his way into the rotation. There are guys who are, it's taking them a little while to get there, but it's, you know, sometimes this development takes a little while longer, and in, and there's also plenty of failures along the way in development. Just because there's guys who have failed in your pipeline that you didn't trade, doesn't mean that your development development overall is a failure, if that makes any sense. You don't just trade guys away for the sake of trading them away because sometimes, you know, there are reasons why those moves don't happen. Uh, and finally, uh, we'll end on one last Freddie Freeman note. How nervous should we be? I'm nervous. I am nervous that a Freddie Freeman contract is not going to get done. I think that he is very possible that he walks. Uh, and I think that there's a few reasons for that. One, since we haven't seen that deal already... You would have everyone. If you ask anybody before the season that if a Freddie Freeman extension was going to get done, they would have said yes. And there are even like major beat beat writers who just laugh at the notion that Freddie Freeman wouldn't sign a contract extension. And he hasn't. And now all of a sudden we're left with oh well they'll figure something out. Well he's been pretty clear he doesn't want to have to talks in midseason. The Braves are doing everything in their power to not talk about it. So where does that leave us? What, that there's a short window at the end of the season where they figure out how to you know, resolve whatever differences or resolve whatever problems there may be in signing an extension? I suppose it's possible. But generally speaking, when a guy gets this deep into a season in his contract year without an extension, he doesn't. He, it's, it's far less likely that he signs with, back with the team. Now, I'm not saying it's impossible. It seems like that the Braves are committed to try to bring him back, whether that's just a public face of, hey, we're trying, we're trying, when they know they can't for whatever reason. That could be the case. It could. But for the moment, I'd say you should be nervous. Not like the sky is falling nervous, but at this point we need to be wondering what the Braves' plan is going forward because right now it looks like that they could be without Freddie Freeman next year. Uh, And I would put the odds, I would say it's about a coin flip at this point. Well, that's pretty much all I've got for this week. Thank you all so much for listening to this first episode. I really enjoyed making it. I apologize in advance. I had some uh, folks that were coming to mow my lawn, and for reasons passing understanding, they decided to come to my house after 8 p.m. in order to do that. But uh, beyond that, uh, I really appreciate you asking all the questions. I appreciate all the support that all of you have given me, not just on this podcast, but in all the work that I've done over the years. It was it's been greatly appreciated. I don't take that for granted. And I want this podcast to be a way for me to interact with all of you just a little bit more than a lot of the other work that I do elsewhere. It's just having that conversation with all of you, talking about the, the issues that matter to you. That's kind of what my goal is with this podcast and what I hope it can be going forward. It's just been an absolute blast taking all of your questions, and that's what it's going to be every week. I'm going to ask each week for you to send me questions, and I'm going to do my best to answer them, hopefully without too, without too much repetition. There's only so many times I'm going to be willing to answer the is Freddie Freeman going to sign a contract extension with the Braves question. But, you know, again, this is what I hope that this is to be, is to be a conversation with all of you to talk about the issues that matter to all of you, while also giving you a little bit of a catch-up as to what's going on with the Braves each week. Um, because right now, what we need right now is to be able to talk with one another, have fun, and enjoy the sport of baseball, particularly as Braves fans, because if you're watching this this Boston game right now and have been watching the team over the last few weeks, things can be t- pretty dire and pretty rough at times. But at the end of the day, we're doing this all 
to have fun and enjoy ourselves. And, you know, baseball is just such a beautiful game in that regard, is that talking baseball with other people is one of the best, absolute best parts. So, again, thank you so much. You'll be, you'll be again, the podcast will drop pretty much every Wednesday night or Thursday morning, depending on when I can get it finished and edited. Hopefully that will remain consistent during the course of the season. And until next time, we'll see you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.